You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, my name is Adam. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor here at the church, and it's good to see your faces. If you're joining us online, so glad that you are with us as well, and uh, just thankful for our team serving us today. Our worship team so faithfully every week just uh, brings it, and hopefully you were encouraged by that. Yeah, it's appropriate to give thanks. Great to, great to see Sarah back here um, visiting from Texas. We love her. Her and Chris and the kids are family to us, and great welcoming them back. Um, want to just reiterate a couple things that are happening um, the Easter, Easter invites, we want you to be excited about this and take it seriously. We, the, studies have shown over and over and over again that people are more, I mean, like a million times more likely to come to a church if they are invited than just from seeing a social media post or seeing, uh, you know, just kind of a generalized invitation. There is something that happens when we look someone in the eye and we say, hey, why don't you come? It's going to be, this is a great day. It's a great opportunity um, to just be together, have some, there's going to be refreshments on Easter morning, and they're going to be um, uh, just, you know, the programming is going to be, it's going to be awesome. And so uh, I encourage you, invite people, invite people that don't know the Lord. That's what we want. That's our biggest desire. Um, we're going to be talking more about that as after Easter, um, because Easter is going to conclude our Ephesians series. And then we're going to jump into um, a different series that's going to focus on more of our, our missional uh, focus for this next season. So I hope you're excited about that. Uh, another thing that's happening is on April 1st and 2nd, we are doing, we are hosting um, an event called The Burn, and it is a 24-hour burn. Uh, it is from 7 p.m. to 7 p.m., so it's Friday night to Saturday night, and it's going to be just 24 hours of prayer and worship happening. Um, you, can, you can come at any time and leave at any time. You don't have to sign up for 24 hours. Um, some of you, though, I, I think will be there probably the, the entire time. Um, we're, we're partnering up with uh, Harbor Church and One City Prayer to uh, just provide opportunity. Our, 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 we need this. We need to pray. We need to spend focused, reflective time in prayer, in worship, so that uh, our hearts and eyes and minds and you know all the things can be tuned into to who God is and what He's doing and we we need to turn off the TV and turn on our spiritual our spiritual uh, meters and our spiritual antennas and really start to think about what's what what's God want what's He doing so this is a perfect opportunity for that um, and you can come in as much or as little as you want for that but I encourage you all to at least take a, a portion of that day, of that 24-hour clock, and come sit, pray, worship. Amen? All right, good, good, good. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 21, but I'm only going to read verses uh, two sections, 1 through 5, and then verse um, uh, verses 10 through, uh, or 15 through 21. So let's, uh, let's stand together as we read God's word. It's going to be up on the screens for you if you need it. There are Bibles around you. This is what he says. He actually used the glasses I brought up here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no adherence in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then we're going to jump to verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Lord, take your word and bring life to us through it. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm always interested in ways that we as humans, as people, choose to correct behavior, choose to try to alter behavior, to try to fix behavior. Um, obviously, as a parent, that's very of high importance to me as, uh, as kids that have been little at one point, and you really are focused in on like behavior, behavior. And then as they get older, you, things change in how you handle uh, behavioral issues and heart issues. And, um, but as like societies... We have found all kinds of ways to, to handle misbehavior. Are you familiar with the pillory? Do you know that term, the pillory? Well, maybe if I showed you a picture of what the pillory looks like, you would understand. You would remember, like you've seen it or heard of it. This is a caricature of what the pillory was, right? The pillory was a, <clears throat> a, a device that was put in the center of the town, usually, in like the marketplace or a heavy trafficked area, and it would be erected on a post, and it'd be either made of wood or metal with holes cut out, usually for the head and for arms, hands, or some limbs. There were different versions of it. Um, actually, my wife and I have, a, have had some experience in this. Um, <laughs> that's Disney jail. That's uh, Disney pillory. Um, this was actually a, a good bit of time ago when my head was shaved. Um, but uh, we were on a, a youth trip there, and I, I came across this picture. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. I, was, I, was in, I had experience with the pillory. But no, seriously, it, it was terrible. It's a terrible instrument, terrible device. Um, it was used from around the 1500s all the way up into the 1800s, usually in Europe, right, because we didn't exist at that point. Um, and you could be sentenced to the pillory for lots of different things. And usually it was for things um, like lying, like perjury in court, sedition. If you spoke badly about someone else, like if you like defamed another person. Uh, and then there was also like treason, some of those elements. And you could also sometimes choose between like one, you know, it was like seven years in prison or one hour in the pillory or two hours in the pillory. And... It just shows you how, how bad it was, and people would choose the pillory. Um, and what would happen is you'd sit there, and then you'd be in the marketplace, and people would come, and they'd throw rotten food at you. They would sometimes throw feces. Sometimes, if it was really bad, they would throw bricks and stones. There were people who actually died on, on the pillory. 
Um, you know, we, we've turned it into kind of this cartoon thing. It's at Disney World. It's, like, super funny and, like, you know, hey, let's go. But this was serious, and eventually it was outlawed and banned. This was, <laughs> this was a method to correct behavior. And one of the questions we have to ask with any method, like, well, did it work? Does it really work? Does that kind of punishment deal with the actual issues that, that make us act certain ways or do certain things or say certain things? See, we are constantly trying to figure out how to deal with bad people and bad behavior, right? We, 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 we're always looking for ways and we hear about the pillory, and we're like, oh, my gosh, that was so barbaric and Neanderthal, so outdated. And we're thankful we don't use the pillory anymore, but we've, we've found more sophisticated ways to bring the pillory into existence. We don't throw rotten food at someone in the marketplace, but what we do is often just as bad or maybe worse we have become a people who publicly shame, who attack over seemingly, relatively insignificant things. And we cancel people. We, 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 we can ruin someone's life in the marketplace, in the public square, not, not, not because they've been seen by everybody walking around, but because online we are able to throw labels at people and, and, and classifications and so-called knowledge and we've just become more, more sophisticated in our pillorying. We publicly shame and attack for bad behavior. And the question is, is this effective? And I think deep down we know, right? We, we get in these arguments online uh, at times. And we know, like, we're not going to change anybody's mind. But there's something about us in us that wants to respond to something that we feel is unjust or just flat out dumb, <laughs> And we, we get after it. Our hope is to change behavior. But honestly, even when they were doing the pillory, they, they didn't think it was going to change behavior. This was just a way for man to get out the darkness that is in them to make someone else enter that darkness. How should we respond to the ugliness of this world? Right? Ryan talked about it this morning, like worship is a response from us based on who God is. And so what does our response look like? Not just sitting here singing songs, but like what does our response to God look like day to day to day? How should our search for justice look? And here's how it connects to our passage today. See, it begins with looking at our own lives in response, in our response to our behavior. See, we are so quick and eager to get on other people, to throw them in the stocks, throw them in the pillory, throw them in the public square for shame. But we very rarely look at our own lives and ask the questions like, what am I doing? Not even in how I'm responding to other people, but how am I responding to the own issues that I have in my life, to the, to the sin, to the ugliness that comes out of me? Because we're very quick to excuse our own behavior and, and dismiss other people's excuses. And so we're in a series here. We're looking through this book of Ephesians. We're calling it One, right? God has made 
all things one. He has unified creation through himself. He has what we call reconciled humanity to himself and made us into a new creation, a family. For those who have put their faith in Jesus, for those who have trusted in him, we are a new creation, a new family, and God cares how that family acts. God cares how that family acts. See, we have spent weeks and weeks in chapters 1, 2, 3, a little bit of 4, focusing so heavily on who we are before we've ever talked about what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to live. And I've, I've, I told you it was coming. <laughs> I've told you. We, but we couldn't jump to this. Paul, who wrote this letter, couldn't jump to chapter 5 without dealing with chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, really focusing in on who we are, what God has done, who he is, so that we can now know how we are to live. Because if we jumped right into chapter 5 and start talking about some of these sensitive issues, and there are some sensitive issues here, we're going to talk about sexual immorality. Sexual ethics to some degree. It's one of the very noticeable places that our lives can reflect or not reflect who God is. But these last chapters, in chapters 5 and 6, focus and help us understand how we should live. See, chapter 4, chapter 4 um, at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, that set the stage for us. So we think about walking in a manner. We've, we preached on this. We, we studied this. It's about living. Live in a manner worthy. Walking is directional. It, it, it has intention. It's a journey. It's a process. So we're to live in a manner worthy. See, God cares about how you live, about how I live. You remember the cartoon movie, um, How to Train Your Dragon? Remember that? It was like 2010. So you got the dad, King. His name is Stoic. He's <laughs> a great name. And his son, Hiccup. Like he's perfect, you know, <laughs> uh, perfect name choices. Stoic and Hiccup, and, and the king is having this conversation with his son who's not very kingly and not very, you know, the, the way that Stoic thinks kings should act. And he gives him this scene where Stoic gives Hiccup his axe, his first axe, right? They're Vikings, which has its own issues in celebrating Viking life. But the dad gives his son his first axe, and he says, when you carry this, you carry us with you. Carry all of us with you. It says, which means you walk like us, you talk like us, you think like us. And then he says, in a funny way, he says, and no more of this. And the kid says, like, you just pointed to all of me. And he's like, yes, exactly. No more of this. When you carry this axe, you walk like us, you think like us, you talk like us. That's the image that God gives to us. Like He's like, I have, I have done something in you. I have come to you. I've saved you and I've entered into your life, your very being. And so when I have done that, that means things are going to change. Things are going to look different. There is actual change that happens. And we get this, right? We've become a family with God. And we know in families, there are just, in, we all have been part of a family. And 
Many of us would say, well, in my family, we do this. Or in my family, we never do that. We get this. And even though we're all from different earthly families around, there is an ethic that comes with being a part of God's family that is a response, not a prerequisite, a response to what God has done for you and who he is. And we try to flip it. See, we, want, we often in life, we, we want to begin with chapter 5 and say, all right, here's how you're supposed to act. If you're, you know, good little Christians, do this, or good moral people, do that. That's not it. Paul understood that. He says, listen, this is who God is. He is amazing. He is wonderful. He has given everything for you now because of that. In light of that, here's how you should think about living. Here's how you actually must live. So Paul is helping us understand this with some very specific behaviors. That there is a distinctive life that Christians live in response. And if you're not a Christian here, you've not put your faith in Christ, like, we are so glad you're here. We want you to, to hear and understand that the Christian life is not just about a bunch of rules or it's not just a, a certain lifestyle, but it is a response to who God is. And if you've been told, well, I just, you know, I feel like if I ever want to follow Jesus, I have to give up everything that I like and cherish in this world. Well, I don't know, maybe, but it's at that point, it becomes not a, a horrible thing, but a blessing because you've fallen in love with who God is. See, God wants to be the most important thing to us more than anything else in this world. And our life is a response to that. And so that's what this message is. It's about one response. What does that life of response look like? Well, that life of response, we're going to categorize it in three ways. Our response begins with imitation. Our response leads to innovation. And our response compels an invitation. There's your three. Imitation, innovation, and invitation. Let me explain what I mean. Our response begins with an invitation. Look, he says right at the beginning of this, of this chapter, therefore, right? And anytime there's therefore, that's, that's important. You, you want to know why it's there because he's, he's saying, in light of everything I just said, therefore, be what? Imitators of God. As beloved children. Look, there it is again. You are children. Therefore, now you need to imitate. It's not... In order to become children, you need to imitate God. No, you are changed. You are children. You are brought into the family now. Because of that, imitate God. Right? He says, live a life that's worthy, that worthy life based on what God has done, who he is. As beloved children, live a life of love. Be imitators. He says what that imitation is going to look like. And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Like big, 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 big stuff here. (laughs) Hard. The fundamental distinctive characteristic of the Christian lifestyle, of people who follow 
Jesus should be that we now live just as Christ loved us. So it begs some questions, right? Like, what does that mean? Look, our, our, our lives are full of imitation. We imitate all kinds of things, right? We, we just are. We're imitators. We imitate the things that we value. We imitate the things that we respect. We imitate the things that we love. Sometimes we just imitate the things that we are spending time around so, so much. We constantly are imitating. I remember as a kid, I, a young kid, like elementary school, I was still living in New York, and uh, Oh, no, no, I was here in Florida. And um, I went to, at the time, my, my mom would take me to where I got my hair cut. And um, I, I went in this one time, like, really having a haircut in mind. And it had everything to do with a certain celebrity that I wanted it to look like. And I'm not going to tell you. I was like, oh, I'll tell him. Like, no, no, I will get shamed and ridiculed extensively for that. Um, so anyway, so I was like, hey, yeah, she's like, what do you want, you know, do I'm like, well, actually, can you make my hair, you know, look like this, and she's, she's kind of staring at me, she's like, yeah, uh, you know, they have a lot of people that work on their hair, like, they just like, just give me the haircut, like, just, just, just make me look cool, and that, that was it, like, I, I, I saw something I like, I was like, oh, man, he looks handsome, or whatever, I was like, I want to look like that, and so I did that, but we, we do this, right, we see the way Someone walks, and we're like, oh, man, that's a cool walk. I want to walk like that. Or we see, we hear a laugh, and we start laughing like that person, right? Have you ever, like, been around people who their laugh changes depending on who they, they're around? We see a dress. We want to buy it. We see someone's money with lots of money, and we want that too. What, what do you imitate? If you really were to think about your life, who do you imitate? What are the things that you find yourself imitating? See, Paul says that the first response to living different, this first response to, to living a new life is knowing what to imitate. And he says, I want you to imitate God. Now, that's big. That's a big, big ask. It's a big ask. But he brings the family reference back in because we, we get that. Kids imitate their parents for good or bad. I see my kids imitating me in ways I dread because it's not the good things at times. I'll hear them, like, say something to the other, to the other kid in a way, and I'm like, why? Don't say that. That's terrible. And I'm like, oh, gosh, it's, I've said that to you. <laughs> we are to imitate Jesus. And so if you think about what that means, he, he gives us language there, right, in that, in that verse, as Christ loved us, so walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, an offering, a sacrifice. I mean, these are, this is language of sacrifice. This is language of being shaped by something else, someone else. We are to be Christ-shaped more than culture-shaped. And too often we are imitating the world around us, the culture around us, we're taking steps in the wrong direction to just be like everyone else. And we see the, the pillory. We see the, the ways that other people can get attacked. And we're like, hey, man, I don't want eyes on me. So, yep, I see you. I'm going. I'm going in. I'm leaning in. I'm going after you. And we, we have little restraint 
in our life. See, the idea of sacrifice and giving ourselves, giving things up for the sake of God, for the sake of others, is it's a part of imitation. It's what Jesus did for you. If you have faith in him, that work was done for you. If you don't have faith in him, that invitation is there for you to put your faith in the one who can help you and heal you and bring life to you. Jesus gave himself up for us, lived a perfect life that we were supposed to live, died a a criminal's death that we were supposed to die. And everything is leading up to this day coming in a few weeks of Easter Sunday where he, he, he rises from the grave to show and prove that he conquered all of it, that he conquered death, conquered sin. So our life is one of imitation where we are living self-sacrificially. We are sacrificing for the sake of others to please God. Our, our, Our ethic is not just the absence of doing what's bad, but the presence of leaning in and caring for the the benefit and the well-being of others. Not just the rejection of impurity, but the practice of grace towards one another. As you evaluate your own life, do you see that you're more passionate about the things that you are against or more passionate about the things that you are for and the love that that is coming out of you towards others? It doesn't mean that we don't have opinions and preferences, right? It doesn't mean that we don't, we just now, oh, we don't, you can live any way you want. No, that's the whole point of this is you don't live the way you want, just the way you want. You live based on someone else's ethics, someone else's rules, someone else's system, and it is the perfect one, God, Jesus. So what will this do to our lives? It leads to innovation. So what do I mean, what do I mean by that? Innovation, look, when I talk about innovation, I mean that when we give our lives over to God, he creates something new. He creates something that is changed, a changed life, a transformed life, a brand new life. Look, innovation is a popular word in our culture, right, especially in the tech world, in the startup world, organizational world, right, startups, tech companies, any really organization, is, is, they're looking for ways to innovate, to innovate their product, in order to bring some kind of disruption to the system, to break in, to be different, to make them, give themselves a competitive advantage against what other people are doing, right? That's how we've gotten things like Uber and Airbnb. And so when we understand who God is and we put our minds and hearts to imitate him, our lives will be New. Our lives will be new. They'll be disruptive. It will look so different to the world around us because all the world around sees is just anger and frustration and problems and, and, and we're, we're, we're setting up the pillory just in new ways and putting people in there and like throwing rotten food and eggs and feces at them just so that we can take out our aggression and, and we don't care about them changing their behavior. We need to be different if we carry 
Jesus inside of us. If we carry that axe, like what Stoic says to his son, we're, we're carrying the marks of something bigger, something better, and it will bring innovation to our lives. It will bring change. See, and Paul uses a, a few specific areas where this innovation, this transformation really is noticeable. And he, he starts off, right, with kind of... Uh, Central theme for us even today in our world, but definitely for them in the Greco-Roman world, and it's our, it's our sexuality. It's our sexual ethics. How do we view this gift that God has given to us? God's not against sex. He is actually for it, but it's within, within the confines of certain relationships, God is, is clear about that. And when we misuse that, when it's abused, it brings destruction. Just like all sin does, it brings destruction to us. And so this is what he does, right? He gives us three things. He says, I, I, I care about your sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. He uses the word covetousness. It's greed. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. God has high standards for how we handle our wants, our cravings, our desires, how we use our bodies. That word sexual immorality is the, the Greek word where we get the word pornography. It's porneia. It's where we get our word, our English word, pornography. And it's, it's all unsanctioned sexual activity. Unlawful, not law like the government, like God's law. That's, that's near and dear to God's heart, how you use the body that he's given you, how you handle the idea of, of, of sex and sexuality. And then, you know, I'm sure many of you either want me to go a lot further in right now or many want me to stop right where I am. And so I'm going to, as always, kind of take down the center route, but go like, there's so much we could talk about here, right? And we can't dive into all of it here, but this is important. He, he, he talks about sexual immorality, that, that when, when sex is misused, God knows that people will get hurt. It is important. It is very important. It's not necessarily the, you know, we tend to make this some of our, like, top sins that we either are for or against in the Christian world. We have to be careful of that. But we also don't want to minimize it and say, that's ah, no big deal. Because our culture, our society is in an unrestrained state of, of living. You understand, we just live in an unlimited culture. Everything's unlimited. You just pay a few bucks a month, you have unlimited music, unlimited movies, unlimited shows, unlimited access to all kinds of data and content. And we've come to the fact, we've come to the point where if anybody tries to put a restraint on us, we're like, oh, I've paid my $20. I am a prime member of life. <laughs> don't, don't raise the price. Don't put limitations on it. Right? I mean, it's, it's humorous, but right? if you're raising kids, Holy moly, it's the G-rated version of what, <laughs> what you want to say. It is almost impossible to shield and guard this very precious thing that's in God's eyes. So what is, what is God looking for from us? He, he cares about the purity of our, of our, 
of our sexual morality. He talks about impurity. This just kind of broadens the picture. That word impurity includes, includes things like lust, but also includes other excesses with food and, and substances, conversations, our words. And then greed. Greed is an unrestrained desire for more. More money, more food, more sex, more whatever. It's unrestrained. Greed can, it, this is one of, it makes us jealous of what others have and bitter about what we don't have. Maybe the greatest unconfessed sin in our culture is greed. No one ever comes in and is like, yeah, I'm really greedy. It's hard to pinpoint. But again, we're in, we're, we're in this unrestricted, un, unrestrained life. And so when we start to just, it's like whatever we want, we can have. It's become so accessible. And when we can't have it, we just are frustrated and like, why don't I? And then, oh, look at this app. It's called Affirm. And I can buy now and pay later. And I get no interest. And, and I can max out this credit card. And I can do this. Like, I just want and want and want and want. It's greed. Do you see why we had to spend so much time talking about who we are? Because we start getting to this, and we're like, oh, who, who can do this? Or the other side, you're sitting there going like, yep, I'm doing it. I don't cheat on my spouse. I don't, I'm not greedy. <laughs> I have a clean mouth. I don't use bad words. I'm doing it. I'm in. It's not it. Your response to who God is. It's not your requirement to get into in, to getting good with God. This is the big fundamental difference. And so we need it chapter after chapter to hear that it is about who God is and what He's done for us first. So that now we come and be like, yeah, God cares about how I speak. God cares about how I think. God cares about how I use my body. I want to honor him because, man, we have such a great relationship and I love him. And this is my response to him. It is for me to be an a changed person to bring change into the world around me, to, to be an innovator, not because this is rocket science and brand new, but because it is so utterly different than what you see everywhere around. It doesn't mean that you have to be weird, you know, and like where no one, you know, they, you, you have no relevance to society around. No, don't be weird. It doesn't help us. Sometimes there's a lot of weird, weird, weird people in our little communities. Not here. You guys are all cool. Y'all are great. Some of them out there are a little weird. No, like, this is a big deal. I, and, you know, we can't preach on that. Don't, don't be weird. But just try not to be weird. Look, God wants us to find our pleasure in him. Because here's the, th here's the thing. When we start talking about sexuality or greed, or it's like, oh, does God just... I knew it. If I go to him, like, I'm going to lose everything I want. I'm going to be miserable my whole life, and I'm never going to have the kind of sexual life I want. I'm never going to have the kind of toys I want. I'm never going to have the type of um, activities and vacations or whatever. No, that's not it. God is so gracious and gives us so, so many great things, but he wants it in the context of what he, he sees as healthy systems and frameworks. And so when we, when we actually like him and love him, he says, look, I'm giving you these restraints 
these guardrails, these boundaries, because it is what's going to give you life. And we're like, no, it's going to make me sad and mad. And, you know, we, we throw our tantrums. And this patient father, he's like, nope, listen. All right, you're going to go do that. I'm just going to show you what it's going to lead to. And he lets us go. And we come running back like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Look, the bottom line is that all of these things have to do with restraint. Sexual immorality is an unrestrained sexual ethic. Impurity is an unrestrained actions. Greed is unrestrained want. And here's the, th- here's, here's the truth. A life without godly restraint is a life without God. A life without godly restraints, it is not anything goes. A life without godly restraints is a life without God. So we need this. We need this in our life. God, God wants, doesn't want us to be miserable. He wants us to find our pleasure in him. He wants us to love him more than anything else, to know who we are in him, what he's done for us, and then honoring him with our lives, with our sex, with our words, with our cravings. It's what's best for us. And when we ignore these principles, we open ourselves up to a lot of pain and dysfunction. And it's just madness. And we see it. We see it all around us. There's just this sense of anything goes. We can't even agree on basic definitions and concepts. This is what happens without God. So what does this do? It leads us. There's an invitation for us. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. There's an invitation for us. Look, all of this compels an invitation. Just just listen to the words that that Paul writes here. He says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says it, that's verse 10. Then he says it again in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look, this is the invitation. It compels an invitation for us to respond He's inviting us to know God more, to know God's will. So many people searching for God's will. I've heard this so many years in the many years I've been in ministry and just talking to people like, oh, I just want to know what God's will is. I just really want to know what God's will is. Look, I can't tell you all of God's will for your life, but I can tell you some things for certain because it's in his will book. (laughs) This is God's will. Don't be foolish. I mean, that's what, he, that's what he says. He says, don't be foolish. Not as unwise, but as wise. He's saying, don't be foolish. Don't be darkness. Be light. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be unrestrained. Find joy in the restraints that God provides in his system. It's an invitation to something more, something greater. We just want to focus on, why are you telling me I can't have that? I just want that. I want that. Like, we are a mess when it comes to those things. And God's saying, look, don't focus on the things that you can't have. Look at what I have given you. I've given you life. I've given you freedom. I've given you this world. You can be a disruptor in this world to bring change, real change. He tells us you are light. Not that you have light. He says you are light. It goes back to that that same sentiment, right? Who you are before you know what you can do. He doesn't say you, you, you have access to the light. He says, no, no, I've done it. You have been given light. You are light. 
Now go light up the world because there's darkness everywhere. It says, look carefully how you walk. Live carefully. That's an invitation. Friends, be careful. Don't live carefree life ignoring who God is as though he doesn't exist. Paul just outlined a few areas that, that, that do touch so much of who we are. Our sexuality, our, our greediness, our wants. That impacts everything, our words, our, our desires for justice and how we go about getting it. He says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There you go. Write it down. You want to know what God's will is for your life? When you wake up in the morning, pull out that note card. God wants me to be light. And that's going to produce good, right, and true things. Good, right, and true. Say it. Good, right, and true. And then he lets us know how that begins in us. He says, you're going to dress one another in psalms and hymns spiritual songs, singing, making melody of the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything that God the Father and submitting to one another. See, we're going to look at how this submitting to one another plays out next week when we start thinking about marriage and parenthood and working. It's going to be super fun. Look, the antidote, the remedy to our indulgence and our unrestrained wants thankfulness and contentment. It's the remedy. Give thanks for everything and always. Sing songs. Be joyful. Let your heart embrace the very things, the ethic that you want because you want God. Stop focusing on the sins you want to stop. Right? Focus on the good you want to see in your life. What do I mean? Don't, if you, if you struggle with greed or like unrestrained want, don't focus, okay, you got to stop being greedy, stop being greedy. No, you know how to stop being greedy? Be generous. Just don't focus on the negative. Go do what God calls you to do. Go be generous. Give your life away. Give your money. Give your time. Give your talent. It will solve so much of the problems that we have with our greedy nature. Practice faithfulness. Soak in God's word and what he wants. Like we imitate that which we're around. If all you do is listen to news all day, you will imitate that. And I promise you, I can tell you 100% certainty God's will is not for you to do that. If all you do is sit around at work all day and just soak in this, the negative talk and the environment of the people around you, you will imitate that. So I just want to ask you some questions to help you think about the next 24 hours and week and month. Look, he says this, be careful how you walk. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. This is part of that invitation. Making best use of the time. Your time is one resource you cannot get back. So I'm going to ask you this. What are your influencers? You're going to ask yourself this. What are my influencers? 
Look, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's always going to be someone who's going to have what they think is a better way, a better path, a better system to getting the things that you want. And Paul's saying, look, I know that's coming. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words, with fake words, with fake systems. Get those influencers out of your life. Who are my partners? He says it in verse 7. Don't become partners with them. That's with them, with those who, who want to just tear down the work of who God is and who want to walk in darkness, who are darkness. Just don't be partners with them. Now, I'm not saying go back and, you know, dissolve your business because you have partners that are not Christians. I'm just saying, who are the people in your life that you are connected to, that you are attached to, where they are influencing and, and, and bringing, shaping your life and actually probably dragging you down more than you're pulling them up? If you have those, you have to ask that question. Who are my partners? And then where are my boundaries? He says in verse 13 and 14, when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. You want clear, lit guardrails, boundaries in your life to help you know how to live and honor God with everything. We have a sign that hangs in our house. We, we talk about... Um, we didn't like invent this saying. It's from the Bible, but we just put it this way. It says, just because I can doesn't mean I should. Boundaries. Thinking about boundaries in our life. Like, can I do this and still make it, make it, make it okay in life? Well, maybe, probably. Will God still love me? There's grace. But do we want to just keep living this life of taking one step forward and then just being sucked back two steps, just never moving on in the faith. God's grace is real and it is available to you, but it is not cheap. God's grace came at a cost, came at the cost of his life. So now we live in response to that grace. Don't cheapen God's grace by saying, well, I got my ticket to heaven, so I'm just going to live however way I want. That is not the response. That is not a sign of new life transformation of imitation innovation that's not it follow Christ believe in him confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that he is Lord and you will find new life, new hope new everything let's stand together God we give this to you give this, this life to you, this message to you, and say, would you make us different? Lord, would you help us to be light in a dark world? Would you help us to be different? Not as a requisite for your love, but as a response to your love. Oh God, we need you. In Christ alone is our hope. You are you are our light, our life, our hope, our song, everything. We sing this in faith, believing that there is no other hope besides you. And wherever we are putting our hope in those other influencers, partners, boundaries, that they would be removed and you would take center stage and all of that, that you are the one who influences us. You are the one we are partnered with. You are the one who creates our boundaries. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.